Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 49 of the Everyday Ascends podcast. I'm Jack Richardson, joined by Brandon Parks. As always, we're happy to be here. We are midway through the season. It's in full gear right now. It's Friday, October 20th. Brandon, how are you doing today? Previewing a game, recapping a game. We're right in the midst of it right now. We are, yeah. And Ottawa is 3-1. I know yesterday, I, I don't know, after this, the games last night, but they were first in the league and or first in the, the Eastern Conference anyway. Uh, and obviously, it's you know four games in, and there's 82 games, so it really doesn't matter at this point. But it's still awesome to see them up there. Like when I see them above Toronto in the standings and, and Tampa, and it's just refreshing after the last few years, right? So now we're just hoping that they don't get off to the same start that they did last year, where they win a few and then they end up losing a bunch and they go negative. Uh, three and one so far. I think the key to these games though has been that they haven't just been wins; they've been dominant wins, like a six to one victory over Washington. That's no small thing. Like. Washington is not the same powerhouse as they used to be. Same with Tampa, obviously, but they're still good teams. They're still like good enough teams that they're going to be competing for the playoffs. Um, and obviously, Washington still has some really high firepower with Ovechkin uh, on that team and, and Tom Wilson, Nicholas Backstrom, John Carlson. They've got a lot of good players and a good goaltender, too. And Ottawa put six in on them. And, and those weren't like none were empty net either. It was like six actual goals, um, mostly a 5v5. And then. Uh, obviously, they, they limited Washington too. like Ovechkin didn't do anything. He was like a non-factor. Uh, they got one goal, TJ Oshie, I think it was. And it was just kind of like a, a lucky bounce. Like otherwise, Ottawa completely dominated them from start to finish. And that's kind of what was seen against Philly and Tampa, too. And it's nice to see because in that first game against Carolina, one of our keys exiting that was to play full 60 minute performances. Like they played a great first period in that game, got dominated in the second. And then the game was just over at that point. They came out the last three games. They played 60 minutes. It's awesome to see. I think they've been one of the better teams in the league in regards to like their actual performance too. They have a plus nine goal differential, which is nuts because they've been they've had a negative goal differential for as long as I can remember. So awesome to see. Love the games. Uh, and yeah, we've got another exciting one tomorrow because this has been a, a bit of a rivalry, you could say, that's been coming up. Um, but yeah, let me let me hear your thoughts on some of these games and Ottawa's you know leading the Eastern Conference to date. Yeah, I think when it's this early in the season, you know, points and wins are kind of like here and there and everyone's games played all over the place. Like the Bruins are three and oh, but they've played. I mean, you look at their schedule. I was looking at it today and they played uh, San Jose. They beat last night. They played Nashville and then Chicago. So not really world beaters. Now, I'm not saying Ottawa's playing the best teams in the league, but um, a bit more impressive. We'll get into their like Ottawa's record when we talk about the Red Wings, because in the exact same spot, both teams are. I think the Red Wings have had a really good start, too. But I just pulled out the standings here. And yeah, they got 19 goals for, which is sec tied for second most in the league with Detroit. Um, and they also, and LA is actually in there as well. Sorry, third most. Carolina's got a bunch. Anyway, my point is goal differential. Like you mentioned, a plus nine goal differential. That's third in the NHL behind Vegas and behind Colorado. So they're in good company. They've had a great start. I think goal differential is a great way to see how a team's doing overall, right? Like you can um, be mad about not having enough goals, but if you're preventing then it's fine. Uh, and vice versa. So a positive, very positive goal differential is a good sign this early on. Um, yeah. And like, it's been dominant. I think it's been really fun to watch. I think it, it's kind of, I don't want to say what we envision, but it, it, having this good of a start is important. We will get into a little bit how they've done this. They did it a little bit last year. We talked about it already a, bit, a little bit, but this feels different. It does because it's complete team effort. There's a couple guys who haven't really exploded offensively yet who kind of did like Batherson, Shabbat had a couple points as well. Um, and obviously Josh Norris came back. Jake Sanderson continues to be the best player on the team. Like a lot of stuff is going well for the team right now. Goaltending looked great. Um, so to me, it's more just like, let's keep this rolling. And I'm really looking forward to tomorrow's game. 
the 1 p.m. matinee against the Red Wings. There's plenty of storylines to get into for that one. Um, but just kind of talking about Wednesday's game, right? This is we're recording here on Friday, October 20th. It was two days ago. Like, I think it's to, to me, it was a mix of Washington being a bad hockey team or just not looking good, um, and the Sens being that much better. Like, I think the first period Washington did start better. But Forsberg was there and the Sens score twice. And then you're like, all of a sudden it's, it's, you know, uh, the Sens are in control of this hockey game. So I think that's, what's important to, to think about, you know, I don't even know what avenue to take. I almost more want to like move past what they've done already. Like they've had a great start. It's true, but another team has also had a great start and that's the Detroit Red Wings. So I, let's get right into that one, to be honest. Um, I don't even want to waste time. We're going to talk about Norris. We're going to talk about Sanderson and just how good they've been and how good Norris was in his return. But we got to talk about the Red Wings. The Detroit Red Wings and the Ottawa Senators, both at 3-1, and one, sit atop the Atlantic Division, tied with Boston, whatever it is. Um, Detroit's had as good of a start as Ottawa. They have a plus-8 goal differential, though, so a little bit different. Um, Alex Dabrinkit, 8 points, 5 goals in 4 games. Like He's, he's on fire. Um, so w- what do you make of this matchup? Because honestly, I didn't circle this one on the calendar as being a battle for first place in the Atlantic Division 5 games in, so... Uh, what, what are you expecting tomorrow? And we'll obviously get into the elephant in the room in Mr. Alex Dabrinkit afterwards. Yeah, I mean, Detroit has had a good start. They've, also, they've actually played some good teams. Their only weak opponent was Columbus. They beat New Jersey, or sorry, they lost to New Jersey. They beat Tampa, Columbus, and Pittsburgh. So they've beaten some decent teams, sort of like the same type of situation as Ottawa. Um, again, I, I think that they're going to cool off. I still don't see them as a playoff team. I mean, four games is four games. Uh, I think Ottawa is more projected to be a playoff team, whereas Detroit, it seems like they're just off to a bit of a hot start. And yeah, Debrinkit's been good, and that, that's good for him and everything, but I don't think he's going to be the one to carry them, you know, past teams like Boston, Florida, and the Atlantic. So we'll see what happens, but uh, I like the matchup. I think on Twitter, for for whatever reason, there's been a rivalry brewing with the, the Sens and Red Wings fans. I know last season, like, there was a lot of them in my replies. I, I don't even remember what I did, but tweeting something during the game, and they find it, and then they, they come in swarms, so... Uh, they've been a little bit insufferable on Twitter, but we're going to see kind of what happens this weekend. It'll be even worse if they, if Ottawa loses. So hopefully they can pull it out uh, on paper though. Like I like Ottawa's lineup a lot more than Detroit's. I think Detroit has a lot of holes. Uh, I don't even trust Billy Huso in their net a whole lot. I mean, they've got Justin Hall on defense and, and Goss despair and a lot of guys who are just questionable fits and generally, but they've, they've done well so far. Um, I think both teams are in a similar situation. Like you said, they're both trying to kind of push like four and one. That's uh that's a nice record. Like that's a nice cushion on 500. Uh, whereas three and two is kind of the opposite. You're like right up against the wall. So it's a pretty significant difference if you win or lose this game. Um, but we talked about it before the last game. I think that Ottawa needs to win games that they should win early. Uh, we don't like, they're going to lose games against bad teams here and there. It's going to happen. There's 82 games. But at the same time, like I think early, you really have to focus on winning the games that you're supposed to win. And this is a game that Ottawa should win. Uh, I don't care that Detroit's 3-1, and one, that they've had a good start. Frankly, you look at the lineups, and there's really no reason for Ottawa to lose this game. So um, I-, I think that early building that cushion that we talked about before, uh, above 500, that's going to be crucial for Ottawa. And they have every chance to do it because we mentioned it. Like They have so many games at home here coming up against teams like eight of their next 15 games or 14 games are against teams who didn't make the playoffs last year. Detroit is one of them. It's a game that Ottawa should win and move to four and one and be first in the Atlantic. Like just keep holding that league, keep building it early because then you can afford to lose bad games here and there as the season goes on. If you build the early lead and you're not kind of up against the wall for every single game that you play, um, that's the type of team Ottawa should be. So Detroit, they're going to provide a test, but at the same time, this is in Ottawa. Like it's another game at home. You're, you're what, what is this three straight now, four straight. So 
you know, they've still got Buffalo too on Tuesdays at home. Very winnable games. And I think that Detroit, you know, being an Atlantic opponent and then Buffalo being an Atlantic opponent as well. Divisional games are going to be huge this year for the Sens. Like it could be the difference in making the playoffs, not making the playoffs. Uh, it starts right now. And the person I really want to see step up in this game is Brady Kachuk because he owned the Red Wings last year. Like he was the factor in those Detroit games last year, the back-to-back wins. Um, and frankly, I didn't think Kachuk or that whole first line really was relevant against uh, Washington, which is another interesting point that we could talk about too. It's just that the first line, who, by the way, they did like 80% of the carrying last year. They produced almost all of the points uh, on the Sens last year. Kachuk, Stutzel, Giroux, they were like, I don't want to say bad, but like they were quote unquote bad against Washington. They just didn't really do anything. They kind of struggled with the puck and yet Ottawa still won six to one. So it just shows you how this team is kind of changing and they're shifting is that they're actually getting depth scoring now. They're getting contributions from their defense and it looks a lot better just kind of from top to bottom in this lineup. It's so refreshing to not have to feel like the top line needs to score uh, like three times a game for the sense to actually win. So that's another takeaway from that game. But I, I like regardless of that, I want Brady Kachuk to be the leader against Detroit because he's the one who was so fired up last year with the who wants it that ended up blowing up and being a huge thing for the Sens. Yeah, um, I think it's a good thing. It's a really good problem to have. I mean, it's not even a problem, but it's good that the top line doesn't have to be relied on so much. Um, I think there's been a lot of discussion about Stutzla and how he's got the numbers, but it's kind of been an underwhelming start for him. Um, and, and honestly, I think that's that's not a bad thing. I think he'll, he'd be the first to tell you, and I think Kachuk and Giroux would probably all say the same thing, that they haven't maybe been at their best. But really, the story's been the depth, which we talked about for every single episode we had, is that their five-on-five five scoring has to be better on um, in, in terms of the role players, right? And they had, what, five even-strength goals the other night against uh, Washington? Like, that's not nothing. Five to one. Five to Ex- one at 5v5. Exactly. Like, that's that's what's going to lead to success for them. Again, also having the power play getting going as well is important. Josh Norris is a huge part of that. A man who was a big part of that last year is Alex Debrinkit. And this is going to be a hot-button issue. I think tomorrow will be a fun time to talk about it. Today, anyway, will be fun to talk about it. But I think or at least at least for the, this season, it's going to be a narrative. Um, this is the only time he's going to be in Ottawa this season, though. So it's a big deal, right? A guy who you traded a lot for, Alex Debrinkit, coming back in Detroit after one season in Ottawa. Ian Mendez had a great piece today in The Athletic where he spoke on the phone with Alex Debrinkit. I think it was a great interview. I want to get your thoughts. I don't know if you caught the article, but uh, basically it, it's Debrinkit kind of clearing the air a little bit on that, you know, article that was in the quotes that were in the uh, Detroit Detroit Free Press I think it was um where he talked about how he was lazy last year and he just kind of clarified all of those so I've got the question posted here in our our <clears throat> on the YouTube excuse me do you think Alex Debrinkit should be booed tomorrow and it's not really a um black and white it's just yes or no do you think you should boo if if you were going to the game would you boo him tomorrow Brennan? I mean, I'm not a huge enthusiastic person like that, but I listen, I wouldn't be upset if he is booed tomorrow. I, I, I'm going to say yes, I do think he should be booed. And I didn't read the, the article yet, but um, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like he probably backtracks on those quotes, but like he also said those things. So like he came out and basically said he was lazy last year. You don't just say that and then not mean it like it, it's kind of telling. And then he comes out and he scores five goals and eight points in his first four games in Detroit. Like. I don't know, man. I mean, we can blame bad luck and whatever for Debrinkit last year. He's distracted maybe. But when he came out and said he wasn't giving his full effort and he was kind of being lazy and then he's lighting it up with our rival after we traded him, after it was kind of an awkward situation where he kind of seemingly forced his way out of the sense out of Ottawa, 
it's just like it's bitter you know and, and I'm, i still don't dislike the guy like I'm, I'm happy he's lighting it up i still enjoy him and watching him and i like him as a person he seems like a good guy a good family guy he wanted to go home and that's fine we can respect that but at the same time when you come to ottawa i love the the how do you put it the evil kind of narrative i guess you could say the the like fans being mean and stuff i like when when people come in and ottawa like has this this kind of brutal factor where you're booing them you're getting them off their game you're getting in their head a little bit really greg like encapsulates this where you're almost having that villain arc where where you're just pissing everybody off and i think the fans should embrace that too where we're not afraid to like get loud and start booing players and and i know a lot of people probably older people too won't like that they might find it a little bit immature and it's like it, it's you know there's still people whatever but I love the fan side of things and I love getting kind of engaged like that and watching the crowd attack players and stuff from a, from a legal perspective. So uh, I, I am hoping that they boo him. You know what I am? And I think that people will boo him because there was a lot of bitter feelings this summer and the way that that situation kind of dragged on too, it kind of postponed things for a while. Um, and now obviously to bring it going and lighting it up with a rival, like I said, that's just a, it's a bitter thing. And I, I don't think that his quotes that he's going to kind of backtrack on, I don't think that that's going to do much for fans because frankly, like, he came out and said he was lazy with Ottawa. Ottawa traded the seventh overall pick, who is, by the way, Kevin Korczynski, who is now playing in, in Chicago already. I think he's 20 years old, and he made the, the roster. He looks really good. So Ottawa traded a very valuable pick um, for in a prospect, technically, who's now looking really good in the NHL, for a guy who spent one year here and said that he was being lazy. So it, it just sucks, and I think that fans are within their right to boo him. And like I said, I love embracing the kind of villain storyline and the narrative where you guys, the fans can kind of be a factor on the game. Uh, in more ways than just cheering for goals and stuff, but actually getting engaged. It's like the whole Zub thing. We love when they when they do the whole Zub thing when Zub touches the puck. Now we can embrace it and maybe get a little booing going on when Dabrinka touches the puck. So what do you think? Because I'm on board with it. Um, and again, I like Dabrinka as a person. It's nothing against him. Like I understand he wanted to go home, but at the same time, that kind of comes with consequences when a team just acquired you for a ton of draft capital and, and valuable picks, and then you kind of forced your way out and, and say you were lazy with them. Yeah, I, I recommend people go and, and read the article because I read it this morning and um, I don't want to say it changed my opinion of everything. Like I was of the mind, I think as soon as the trade happened, we talked about it early on um, before the the comments were made and, and I'll get into that. But um, I immediately said, like, I think it's completely fair to boo him, but it's also fair to recognize that it wasn't a, you know, Danny Heatley situation here. Like he didn't force his way out. And there's two sides to that. There's a side of, he didn't formally request a trade, which Dabrinkit says in the in the uh, interview with Ian. He says, I didn't ask for a trade. I just informed them that I wasn't going to sign long term. So it's a, a little bit to me. I read that. I'm like, OK, so you you the writing, you put the writing on the wall. Like, I think Dabrinkit himself says the writing was on the wall. He put it there. He wrote it like that's that's what happens. And not that that I think I uh, we talk, you and I for sure talked about it. I don't know how much it was discussed among other Sens fans, but I was OK keeping him for a year um, because you know, you look at who they replaced him with. Yeah, they got a first and Sabrango back, but also they just got Kubalik and then signed Tarasenko who are going to be free agents next summer anyway. So it's kind of like you basically just got a first back and Sabrango. But again, that's better than nothing. And at the same time, um, they have a little bit more cap space, which we know where it ended up anyway. But uh, I, I think it's so hard because it is sports. And yeah, you're going to boo a guy regardless. People boo Eric Carlson and and he doesn't deserve to be booed. Um, you know, Connor Bedard got booed in Montreal and he has absolutely no tie. It's just because you're a good player. So it's not like the piece wasn't to bring it saying, don't boo me. I liked it here. He understands the territory that comes with it. He says it himself. He says Ottawa is a passionate fan base. They just want the best for their team. I get it. Um, I think the rivalry thing needs to be 
kind of tied in here a little bit, right? Like, yeah, he went home and that's completely fine. Again, in the interview, he goes into like having Archie, I think is his son's name going, you know, having his grandparents around, like both sets of grandparents are in the same city. And he says it's a unique situation that not all of not a lot of NHL players can say that they have. So I get that angle, especially like just like babysitting wise when he's on the road for a long time, like with his wife helping out with the kid, like that, that goes a long way, I think. And because a lot of players don't do it very frequently, I think it might get overlooked a little bit. You know, I'm looking at um, Giroux. I think Giroux is a good kind of comparison here. And I know that they're 10 years apart, like the brink is 24, 25 Giroux is in his mid thirties, but you look at their kids, like Giroux signed here last year. He had two kids. I think his, his kids are under four years old or were under four years old at the time that he signed part of the situation. And part of the reason he probably signed here is because his wife is from here. Family is here. They can help out with the kids. Like, and to bring it, yeah, he's younger. He's got more career to look forward to, but he's also got a kid who's around the same age. So I think that, and I should point out, he had an opportunity to go there and maybe he did it a year earlier, forced the Sens hand a little bit, but there's nothing to say that he wouldn't have done the same thing in Chicago. Now, that all being said, if I was at the game, I'm not going tomorrow, but if I was, I would still boo him because it's sports. I don't need to hold up a sign saying, this is why I'm booing this guy, right? At, at surface level, which a lot of fans will know, he was a guy who was here last year. He's the best player on the other team, a team you're trying to fight for a playoff spot, and he's doing very well. So obviously you're going to boo him. Like it's just that, that that's sports. So I'm kind of tiptoeing both lines here. Like you got to explain, you got to understand both sides. I think um, I'm not going to, you know, hate on people who aren't booing for him. I'm not going to, or sorry, who aren't booing him, but I'm also not going to care if people boo him. Like I think it'll just be like a good atmosphere. And if, t- you know, at worst to me, it's a great storyline to follow in this rivalry because, you know, it's like you mentioned something that got ignited last year with Kachuk and just the, the two games that sends just bullied the Red Wings. That kind of is going to drive this narrative, right? Right. Like the Red Wings have to kind of show up and, and prove that they're in the same echelon as the sends moving forward. And I think having to break it there just creates this nice little thread to follow. I think it's fun. It is. Yeah. And I think the big thing is that what you were saying is true in the sense that booing doesn't have to be taken as this really deep thing. Like, it's not like you're booing this man's soul and, and forcing him to be, like, going to a depression. Like, you're, <laughs> it's sports. Like, you're having fun, right? Like, it's going to be something that happens and that DeBrinkett should expect when, like you said, I mean, that's a, that's a good point that he didn't request a trade, but, like, saying you're not going to sign long-term when the Sens want to sign you long-term, and that's kind of the only path they, they have in their mind, I think. It's like that's basically telling them you want to get traded because you're not going to agree to their terms. Um, so the writing was on the wall, uh, like you said, but I think to bring it himself is smart enough to know he's probably going to get booed just for the sense that, like I said, it's not some deep thing. Everybody understands that he wants to go home. I like your points about how, like, obviously he's got the grandparents and Drew's kind of the same way. I get wanting to go home and, and that's why I don't really blame him. But at the same time, like every star player could do the same thing and force their way home eventually. And that would just make for a really terrible league. So, um, I, I don't know, like, it's a it's a unique situation. Pierre-Luc Dubois kind of did a similar thing, not going home, but he kind of forced his way out of markets that he didn't like to go to a nice market in LA and kind of live the lifestyle. Like, there was a recent piece on him, too, where he ended up getting traded uh, from Columbus to Winnipeg, and then he ended up getting his way out of there and going to, to LA, where he now says he's living his best life, and he loves the, the atmosphere and the, the living, the lifestyle. And it's like, I get it. People want to play where they want to play, but, like, as a, a fan of a team from a smaller market who generally doesn't attract the top players who aren't from Ottawa, 
that's frustrating because I hate to see people just forcing their way into markets that they want to go play in and leaving Ottawa. Uh, we've seen that for for so many years, right? And teams choose or players choose other teams when with just because of the market. And Ottawa's kind of jammed between two major cities and major markets, and that puts them at kind of a, a disadvantage, which is frustrating. And, and again, it is what it is. We can't do anything about it. But at the same time, one thing we can do about it is boo players who do that. So, uh, like I said, I don't think it's a deep thing. I don't think if we're booing to brink it, there should be an outrage on Twitter from certain people saying this is crazy. Why are we booing? It's like it's sports. And what makes sports fun is like rivalries and, and being angry at people and, and fans and players. And like, that's just what makes them fun. So I think Ottawa should embrace the whole villain arc. They should boo them. Um, again, it's one game because they're going to be playing a home game for Ottawa in Sweden as well. So they're not going to be back in uh, in Ottawa with the Brinkett there. So um, this is our chance to kind of get back at him a little bit. I mean, it's not it's not getting back, but it is getting back at him a little bit, giving a revenge. Uh, from you know a, a fair standpoint in my opinion and yeah I'm not against it at all and, and again this is a huge game and I think that we should also embrace the Ottawa Detroit rivalry while we're at it like that kind of sparks that a little bit more too because that was a big thing that was brewing last year last year they were both non-playoff teams like they were out of the playoffs at the time that this whole uh, who wants it thing happened and yet it was so electric and, and so like the fans were at each other the players were at each other like Brady the who wants it thing was Brady going by the entire Detroit bench skating up to them and literally saying who wants it to them if you missed it so um, hopefully something like that happens again, because those games were probably the most fun games last year. Also because Ottawa won, but just the spark, like the, the, you could feel it like when you were sitting, even watching on TV and that's a hard thing for the players to do. But when you're sitting at home watching a game and you can feel your blood boiling because of something that's happening on the ice, like that is entertainment. And then that's what, I, that's what the sports are all about. And that's what hockey is all about. So I think we should really embrace the rivalry because these are two teams, whether it's this year or moving forward, they're two teams who are going to be competing for a playoff spot for probably the next, you know, five to 10 years based on their rosters because they're both very young. Yeah, lots of young guys too. The connection with, with Stutzel and Sider. I mean, Raymond was picked right in between Stutzel and Sanderson. Like there's a lot of lot of connections with these two teams. And obviously those games last year, like you mentioned, I think those reminded me actually of what we saw on Wednesday with the, the Sens against the Caps, um, we, which we will get into. I just want to read what Debrinket said about the quotes that happened. Um uh, so he said the other day talking about being a little lazy finishing the puck I think people took that the wrong way I wasn't lazy in my game I was just saying on well, my chances I needed to bear down and focus more lazy was the word that came out but I don't think I played a lazy game in Ottawa I tend to agree with him I don't think he was lackadaisical out there I don't think anyone ever blamed him for effort like he was a hard skater um, played all 82 games for a small guy too he got beat up a little bit too which was I think very valuable um so yeah i would agree with that i think the frustration which a lot of us felt was that he wasn't scoring and he's a goal scorer so another thing he said hating ottawa is not going to happen for me or most players it's such a great city just ended up not being the best fit for me and my family to get the chance to come back to detroit was something we couldn't pass up like that's completely fair and and i know that when stutzla talked this summer about like if you don't want to be here good luck on your way and yeah that can be kind of bulletin board stuff for the team like you don't want to be here blah 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 but I think Ian goes gets into it too that it seems like the Sens and Debrinket himself are good at separating business from you know uh, their life and from their friends and everything because Debrinket was at Kachuk's wedding a few you know months after the trade so like it, it's not a a deal like I'm sure he's gonna hang out with them and saw them last night or tonight or whatever it is like it, it's not as personal as I think we might take it but again like like I'm not even taking it personally like it's just. I think I saw something on Twitter that someone said, if, you know, we were both from Ottawa, like if we were NHL stars and we 
got traded to somewhere when we were uh, two years away from being able to go wherever we wanted. And that team, like, let's say it's, it's Winnipeg or something like that. And Winnipeg's handing us these contract offers. We don't want to go. We want to go back home to Ottawa because Ottawa wants me and I want to move back home. It'd be hard to pass up. You know, like if you've got the two same scenarios, which at its core, it is Detroit's on the same kind of timeline as Ottawa. It's not like he went to a team that's worse, right? Because like you said, they both missed the playoffs last year. Both have missed for several seasons. Now we can argue who's in a better spot to have long-term success, blah, blah, blah. But from Dabrinkit's point of view, like they're both kind of in the same scenario. So it's like that kind of, to me, is a wash. Like it's not like he's selling out for being on a much worse team. Like I I do still think Ottawa is a better long-term team, but at its core, they're in the same spot. So like it's hard to pass that up. He he just gets to go home. Like I'm not going to blame the guy for going home, but at the same time, I don't have to be happy that he did it. You know, it reminds me of though that that kind of rubs me the wrong way is like when players in the draft and was it Lindros who did this? Who somebody has the first overall pick and they say they're not going to play for that team, so they better not pick them first overall, and they force their way into a different market. I understand that they want to play where they want to play, but like every team in the league would want Connor McDavid too. He like maybe he wants to go play in Toronto, but is he going to force his way out and go for Toronto? Like he didn't do that. It's just. I don't know. I mean, I know it's a situational thing, obviously, and to bring it, the contract thing was kind of, you know, what it is. And he didn't ask. I think the big thing is he didn't ask to get traded to Ottawa in the first place. Like Ottawa didn't draft him. He was happy in Chicago. And then he kind of got, you know, picked and pulled. But that's like, that's the business. That's what happens. I know the Sens were taking the chance and that's on them that they they acquired a guy who was on, you know, one year left, two years of team control, and they didn't extend him. It was a chance for sure. But like, it, it just reminds me of the whole drafting thing, because I know this is happening in the NFL this year, too, with Caleb Williams, a star quarterback. He said he might, you know, wait another year if if like he's got a list of teams or it was reported he's got a list of teams where he'll play. And if a different team gets the first overall pick, he's just going to go back to college and not go into the draft this year because he doesn't want to play there. And it's like, I get it. You want to kind of pick your team, but that's just uh, it just rubs me the wrong way. Like you're within your right to do it, I guess. But like it just it doesn't mean people are going to be happy about it. And I think that if you do that, you are kind of setting yourself up for the booze and, and to be the villain, because that's just like, if you're going to, you know, force your way and, and kind of screw a team a little bit, you have to expect to take the criticism and the flack too, regardless of what your, your thought process was. So again, I'm sure Debrinkit is still happy because he's getting really like, what does he care? What the Sens fans think? Like he's living his best life in Detroit now. And like you said, I think he's still, I don't think there's like, we should clarify. I don't think there's any like bad blood between him and the Sens. Um, Maybe Tim's quote's can be taken that way, but I think that they're all probably still pretty close. You know, I know Drake said he got really close with the Brinkett last year too. I'm sure they're all close still. There's not. I'm not expecting them to like run him and like make this a big thing with the Brinkett. But at the same time, like you saw how he did those games where last year there is a lot of bad blood between the Sens and the Red Wings, and that just dates back, you know, as rivals since they've been rivals in the Atlantic Division. So yeah, go ahead. Well, that's the thing too. Like I think there can be two sides of it. It's like, yeah, you want, and I don't want to say I'm like the players, but I kind of feel the same way. It's, it's, you can respect the decision. I don't hate him for not wanting to be here, but at the same time, he chose not to be here. So him choosing not to be here makes you want to beat him that much more, if that makes sense. And I, I, I guarantee that's the mindset in that locker room right now. And going into tomorrow, it's like, yeah, we can be friends with this guy. Good for him. Like he's, he's home. I'm glad for his family. Like maybe they had a rough time here, whatever it is, but it's time to beat him. Like he physically, it's not like you. I think, I think a lot of us maybe um, even with Raymond, I mentioned Raymond, like how they he's in between Sanderson and Stutzel. Like I've, I've seen fans compare Stutzel to Raymond and being like, Oh, we got, we got the best one. It's like, I don't like doing that because Detroit didn't even, didn't even have a chance to get Stutzel. Now they had a chance to get Sanderson. So we can say it with that, but you know what I mean? It's kind of that kind of vibe 
or it's not that vibe, I should say, where the Brinkett legitimately was here and had a chance to be here. It's not like we were spurned in free agency and he was the last one we, you know, he got uh, declined or whatever. He was here and, and saw what this was becoming, whatever it is. So every time they play him now, if the Sens win, it's going to be a, a total moment of, you know, you could have been here and that's fine. That's sports. It's what it's for. Um, so I like that angle of it. It's like, yeah, you can be happy for a guy, but you're on a division rival now on the same timeline as Ottawa and playing you is, is important and the Sens need these points. So um, we can move on a little bit, I guess. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk about some positive stuff with the Ottawa center. Not that this isn't positive. It'll be a great narrative to follow. I can't wait to watch tomorrow. Um, I'm expecting a lot of booze to be honest, which is fine. And I'm excited. I kind of support it. Um, let's talk a little bit about two guys on the Sens, and we're just gonna we're basically just gonna rave about them because uh it's exciting. Let's first start with the guy who made his debut on Wednesday, first game in 270 days. That's Josh Norris, and obviously we're also gonna talk about Jake Sanderson. I put them in the same headline here, but Josh Norris comes back, two goals, and does what he does. Two shots, two goals. He's right back. Um, what did you see from Josh Norris? What'd you like? Uh, how hesitant were you when he took contact, face-offs? Just give me the works. What, what were your thoughts on Josh Norris on Wednesday? Support for Everyday Sends podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle, join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code SENS20 at manscaped.com. The performance package 4.0 arrived for me. And honestly, guys, it's it's a game changer. I, I didn't really think I needed half the stuff in there. But once you start using it, you realize how important the hygiene is in that down there area. I think men's hygiene is kind of overlooked a lot of the time. And in this day and age, it's kind of on its way back up or even just back in general. Uh, so the performance package includes the lawnmower 4.0, which is the main uh, trimmer. They've got a, a nose and hair trimmer as well, including a bunch of deodorant products for that down there area. Um, and it, it's honestly like they, they include a wash kit, a t-shirt, a pair of underwear. It, it's the full works in that performance package. Even if you don't think you need all of that stuff, I recommend just trying out the lawnmower to uh, 4.0, excuse me. One of the products alone is, is worth the time and, uh, and the price, especially with everyday sends promotion with the sends 20 code. So again, that's get 20% off and free shipping with the code sends 20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code sends 20 unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with manscaped. Now let's get back to the everyday sends podcast. Well, yeah, obviously he scored the two goals, and that was like, we talked about it before the game, we did a live stream, um, and that was a lot of fun, but we talked about Josh Norris and, and what we were all expecting, we asked the chat, uh, and pretty much everybody said the same thing, which was just get through the 60 minutes without getting hurt, like, if you score something, that's great, but just get through the game, show us you can actually play, and, and that this isn't going to be like a, another year-long thing that we're going to be missing you for. I think he showed that. And you know what? I was nervous at first about the contact uh, and the face-offs and stuff, but I think he took 11 face-offs. I think he won five of them. Um, and that's, that's fine with me. Uh, but I thought he actually did look kind of physical too. Like he, especially towards the end of the game when he was going for the hat trick, I thought he actually did get pretty gritty along the wall uh, behind Detroit's or Detroit Washington's net. Uh, he was actually like kind of, you know, he was trying to stick check. He was using his stick. He was using his shoulder. Like 
he was engaged. He didn't look nervous to me in regards to contact, which was a bit surprising because we had heard it was kind of a mental thing. And, and he seemed pretty willing to go into the dirty areas of the ice and, and get involved. So didn't have any hits or anything, but like he was physical, you know, like he was engaging in body contact, which is what you want to see. So I thought towards the end of the game, I actually kind of let up with my nervousness. I know it's only one game and I'm still going to be nervous, but I just felt a lot more comfortable. He looked like he was confident. He was skating hard, like he was going into the corners. And that's what you want to see from him. Um, but yeah, obviously two goals is just nuts. Like I couldn't believe it. I was honestly sitting here and I recorded it. And the first goal, obviously right away in the first period, like wasted no time, uh, put it in on the power play. Like it's, it's that backdoor play that they were so good at uh, in the past few years with Batherson, obviously. And Batherson is another huge one we have to talk about because he got two assists, his first two assists of the season. Uh, and that line with Kubalik as well looked really, really good together. And it just shows like Ottawa's got three scoring lines now. But yeah, it was the power play goal. And it's just it shows you that this is what that top unit was missing. They shuffled the units a little bit, but you can see Norris already like it's a tap and goal on the back door. But you have to realize like Norris is getting to that spot like he's getting open. He knows where that puck is going to go before it's actually coming there. He beats the defender. He's a step ahead. And then Batherson just, you know, it's that Drake and Josh connection. He just knows where he's going to be. Finds him tape to tape and Norris puts it in like it was so clean, so good to see because we were really missing that. And Batherson just didn't look the same with any other center. Like even when he played with Tim for a bit, he did not look the same. There's something about this duo that like they just feed off of each other and they know where where they're going to be. It's just like there's a lot of players like that. It's almost like Tim and Brady a little bit where you, they just know where each other's going to be at all times. And they, they can make these no look passes. And it's just like it's really hard to stop uh, as a defense. So. Norris really happy with this game. He had six shot attempts as well. Had a couple one-timer attempts on the power play. So they were getting him involved. And I was honestly pretty sure he was going to get the hat trick. Like I thought they were going to do everything possible to get this man the three goals. Because he had two. I think his second goal was like midway through the second period early in the second as well. So awesome to see. But yeah, it was the same on the second goal too. As I talked about with Batherson finding him. And the, on the second one, Kubalik deserves a ton of credit. He's still pointless in four games. But he caused the turnover behind uh, Washington's net. Batherson just skates out in front and finds Norris wide open again for the one-timer. It's just so smooth. The duo looks amazing. And now you've got like the top line is so good. You've got that second line with Greg Tarasenko that's looking so good. Joseph too. Like the chemistry is clicking on all three lines. And the fourth line was even hemming Washington in at times, which is shocking to see. Um, but yeah, it was just really fun. And Norris was, was definitely a star player in that game. And someone who you can just, you can feel how important he is to the roster. Goal scoring is one thing, but it's the finishing. Like, the Sens were the worst finishing team in the league last year. The worst. They were so, so awful at putting the puck in the net, largely because they didn't have Josh Norris, who is an elite finisher and a guy who can score from anywhere. We saw it in game one. Really happy to have him back, and it just builds on the whole 5v5 dominance we've seen from Ottawa so far. Yeah, I think I think if anything's like more impressive than Norris's debut, it was Batherson in his debut, right? I think you couldn't write it up better than Norris having two shots and two goals and Batherson with two primary assists. They have unreal chemistry. I think it's it's better than Tim and Brady. Like I think those two have the best chemistry anyone of anyone on the team. Um, it's really impressive to watch. And like that second goal, especially. I mean, both assists really. The the power play one behind his back. We've seen them. It was a really nice pass, but we see them do it all the time. Like they that was a play that they had drawn up um, two seasons ago on the power play, like countlessly. So I, I think that the second one is is just like you mentioned, Kubalik, like the four check to me that that goal is DJ Smith hockey, which I, I, we, I don't want to get into that yet because I think DJ's made a lot of great coaching decisions so far, like the lineup and the way they're rolling on, uh, on home ice um, is really impressive. And it's an indictment of how well he's coaching, I think, but yeah, like, like just Batherson taking the body and then the quick hands, boom, back of the net. Like it's, it's that quick, like you can't make a mistake against us or we're putting it in the back of the net. The finishing I think is a great point. Norris had a 
I think a 20% shooting percentage the year he had 35 goals in 66 games, which is very high. Like I think most players are what around 12, 13% um, or most goal scorers anyway. So it was really exciting to see. Like I, I was really impressed. I think, I think you can't be anything but impressed with that debut. But to me, the biggest thing is how good Batherson looked. Like he looked great in preseason, great in the first few games, just didn't have the production to show for it. Um, but he was fantastic in, in that game. He was, yeah, and, and obviously we got to give him to Jake Sanderson too, but uh, I think Batherson and Norris, like that that duo is just, like I said, it creates three lines, and I didn't know if they really had this before Norris came back because they had Cherche on the third line, uh, and that, that was what it was. Like, Cherche was fine in that role, but it was just there was no offense coming from them. Now you're getting the contributions from all three lines, and you have, like, this wicked top nine where you put them out, and then there's no favorable matchup for the opponent. That's the big thing is they can't target your liabilities because you don't have any, like, it's the the balance type of thing, but they have a lot of star power too. Like Josh Norris is not a third line center. And, you know, I wouldn't even call that a third line, but like the way that it's shaping up is you kind of have like three, uh, maybe one first line and two second lines is kind of how I'd put it. And that that's how they've performed so far. And that looks really good because you put Greg and Tarasenko on the ice and they're creating all this offense. Then you come out next shift with Josh Norris and Drake Batherson. They're creating offense. Like you obviously have that dominant top line and then you know, your fourth line is there as kind of a, a gritty kind of shutdown guy, shutdown trio. But um, regardless, yeah, I think that that duo is going to be critical for the Sens moving forward. And again, Norris has to stay healthy because if he gets hurt, you're right back in the same situation. By the way, we still haven't even mentioned Shane Pinto is not in the lineup. Like the Sens have like a wealth of riches here because I know they can't really afford Pinto and a guy like Kubalik or Joseph. But even if you, you know, you trade one of them and you bring Pinto in, like, my God, this lineup looks really, really good. Like they have a ton of a ton of depth that they haven't had in the past. So very exciting times for the Sens. I do want to get into Jake Sanderson, though, because this guy's been next level. Uh, he's been my best player for Ottawa this year by far. Like, I am I think he's been one of the best defensemen in the league. Obviously, we're four games in. It's a little early. I know I, I brought up the Norris Trophy thing in my tweets the other night, and it, it is definitely way too early for that. Like, Sanderson could go cold anytime, but I don't know. You watch him, and I just, like, he uses confidence. I'm going to do a film study on him um, like I did for, for the game there last week just because I am so, like, in awe of his play. It sounds crazy, but he's been insane. I've got the stats pulled up too. Like he's got four points in four games. He's obviously a point per game defenseman. Um, but like his analytics too, he's leading the sense defenseman with a 56.55 expected goals for percentage. He's been on the ice for five goals, four and two against a 5v5. He's started in more defensive situations than offensive too, which is just like him and him and Zub have been the shutdown pairing. They've been in defensive situations, but they've been so good. Like analytics wise too, Zub is right below him. And then it's every other defenseman, like another step down. Um, they've been a really, really good shutdown pairing, but like, it's hard to even call them a shutdown pairing because they've been so good offensively as well. Like Zub even scored last game, Artem Zub, he blasted one home from the blue line uh, off of a great play by Sanderson. So both of them are contributing offensively. And like, it's hard to call them a shutdown pairing because they've really been dominant two ways. Uh, and a lot of that starts with Sanderson, just like breaking the puck out such a good skater, right? Like he's creating so much offense and compared to years past. So uh, he's someone who I think like we need to really consider him as like a Ottawa's best player, in my opinion. I mean, I know Tim is up there, too, with skill, like raw skill. But Sanderson, the way he's playing at 21 years old, he is like primed to be one of the best defensemen in the league for many years to come. I know I might be getting ahead of myself, but I don't think I am. He's just watch him play and you'll feel the confidence that this guy oozes. Like it's hard to not be in awe of him because everything he does, like the details of his game are so good and they just build on like the raw skill and his elite skating and Every attribute, like, it's there for him. And, and really, I do think that he's going to be a Norris-caliber defenseman uh, moving forward in the future. Yeah, it's funny because when he signed his contract and 
all of the Sens fans were making the comparisons of, oh, it's like Stutzel last year. He had his breakout right after signing it. It's a big deal. Um, and it's a great contract. And I think more than Timmy, because Sanderson's only played one year, it was after his rookie season. Um, more than Stutzla, like there was more skepticism from around the league. And I don't, I think the majority of people and a lot of like, you know, you, you have these insiders and, and, uh, you know, analysts that you trust, I think with their, like, just, I'm talking in general, like people, like you have your own people that you believe with every, you know, everything they say, you're like, that's a smart person. Um, and the people for me that, that I listen to on teams, I don't know about had nothing but good things to say about this contract, but it was a lot, met with a lot of skepticism just in he's played 77 games. It's a risk and it's a good risk, but it's still a risk. I think after five games, most people can can agree that like this, it looks like a steal. And I know that you're kind of, you're not, you're not pumping the brakes, but you're saying he's this good. He could be one of the best defensemen in the league one day through five games or four games. He's been one of the best. I don't think you can argue that it's a very small sample. It's a long season, but defensively he's shutting down the top lines. Ovechkin had no shots. Kucherov, Point, and Hagel did nothing. Um, and then Philly, Philly doesn't really have those top guns, but that's what this guy does. He's he's a shutdown defenseman. Being with Artem Zub helps, and we'll see how the, that does on Saturday, just when he doesn't have um, his partner, because Zub will be missing Saturday's game at least. He's day-to-day. Look, they got a puck in the ear. I hope it was his ear, not his jaw, because he broke his jaw last year from something exactly similar. Um, but regardless, like I'm, I'm so confident having Jake Sanderson back there. He is unquestionably the best defenseman on this team, which is saying something because Shabbat played well the other night and Jacob Chikrin has been really good to start too. The thing with Sanderson, like I said it in our first episode, I'm going to keep citing that because I think it's a great clip to have and it wasn't me having a hot take. It's legit. Like it's the truth. He's that good at every category where when the Sens are cup contenders, if they are cup contenders, he's going to be their Conn Smythe candidate because he does everything. He does absolutely everything. And I think him being on the first power play unit you know, he didn't get an assist on Norris's first goal there, but he started to play at the top of the umbrella. Like they, they're, they're going to grow into it together. And I think, I, I just, I don't know, like putting him on the top of the power play will get him more attention around the league because that's what numbers do. And he's currently at five points through four games. If he, if he continues that pace, like two goals in four games, if he somehow continues this pace, then it's no question to me he will be in the Norris conversation because the numbers do that. But that's the thing. He doesn't need to be producing like this. It's just that much better. It's like the cherry on top. And I said it, we both knew it. Um, every time he's somewhere for the second season, like his sophomore year, he gets more comfortable offensively. He did the same at the U.S. program, same in North Dakota. And don't forget, at North Dakota, he had similar point-per-game stats to Kale McCarr. Very similar, Okay. I think McCarr was maybe a few points higher than him per game um, for a defenseman in their sophomore year. And that was it. It was McCarr and then Jake Sanderson. Like that's not, I'm not making that up either. So I think the pieces are there and um, he's, he's like, like he's going to be an MVP candidate. If he keeps playing like this, I don't know how you can't consider him for those kind of, you know, that kind of category, let's say, right? Like if the season ended today, who's your MVP vote for the senators? It's Jake Sanderson for sure. Right. Definitely, yeah, and I mean, the thing with him, and, and you said it is the points now, because regardless of the fact that, like, the Norris Trophy is for the best defenseman, and most people consider defensemen, like, you have to consider their defensive play, right? That's what we should be evaluating, is how good they are defensively. Well, Sanderson was really good defensively last year, and most people were able to admit that and accept that even nonsense fans. The thing this year, and what's really going to get him attention, is the production, because regardless of the fact that he's a defenseman, and the Norris Trophy is on defensive play, like, 
defensemen also need to contribute offensively and frankly points speak louder than anything else like that that's the big thing is you look at like Eric Carlson obviously 100 points last year of course that speaks but like go back through the Norris winners and most of them are are high producing defensemen like you have to be able to score points to open eyes in this league and Sanderson now and I was wrong he's actually got five points in in four games not four points so um goals are one thing but even the assists the primary assists like he's driving a lot of these plays that are leading to the goals that's kind of my biggest takeaway for him so far like that that Zub goal really stood out to me because Sanderson got the puck along the wall and he had very little space to maneuver but he actually like he squeezed through with just how shifty he is went all the way around the net he waited 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 got people to dive block passing lanes got people out of position came all the way around the boards back to the blue line then fed Zub and Zub just one times it into the back of the net like that's all Sanderson's a good shot by Zub but that the whole play was set up by Sanderson like dominating the offensive zone and that's something we didn't see last year he was a great skater who would jump into the rush last year but he would often just come in fire a kind of mediocre shot into the chest of the goalie and it was like uh, okay that's an awesome play but like he's going to be really dangerous when he actually starts scoring those well like he obviously scored another beautiful goal against Washington but I'm really just taken back by his ability to kind of possess and control the offensive zone because that's what we didn't see last year is him actually stepping up at the puck like even on his goal there that the absolute snipe to make it six to one like he walked around it reminded me of that Timmy goal where he walked around Crosby last year uh and he gave him like the little fake and went around him Sanderson almost did the same thing on this where he got the puck and he just like walked around the player who was defending his lane and he's like yeah get out of my way this is my lane and then he has all the time in the world to shoot and he goes bar down that's just like it's crazy to see him doing that because he I don't even know where that shot came from like he did not have that shot last year the one-timer goal he had or the slap shot goal he had too the first goal he had that was nuts like the power behind that thing I would love to see the speed of that shot uh, I don't know where that came from I don't know if he's been working out a lot or what but he's like he's stronger he's faster he's bigger he's more physical like it's just like that TJ Oshie play how about that yeah. on the on defense like again I'm gonna break this all down in the film study but like Oshie was a step ahead of him and Oshie is a damn good player and Sanderson just like bullied him off the puck he like physically him, yeah. he doesn't look big like he looks like a slender defenseman um like if you watch Shabbat Shabbat's not physical that's not his style but like Sanderson looks the same way where he's kind of under like not undersized but he's, he's very six, slender six, he's, six, two, 203 yeah he's listed but as. he doesn't look that way like he looks like a guy who a guy a bull like TJ Oshie could just like walk past Sanderson pushed him right off the puck and just the play was over and, and Oshie even gave him a cross check and you could see he was like who is this guy like, yeah like he's just introducing himself to the players of the league he also had a beautiful little like head fake on Alex Ovechkin in the neutral zone that was really impressive too he actually gave him the like the head fake and went around him and just he creates so much space so I think Sanderson he is going to emerge in those conversations due to the fact that now on top of his defense he's really like he's dominating with the puck on his stick and that's what the, the Norris winners do like that's what the Cal McCars Victor Hedman's like they're really good with the puck on their stick as well as their defensive abilities so as this guy scores more points people are going to start to realize yeah we were silly to criticize his contract guess who told you that every sense fan because it was the same way with Tim Stutzla nobody pays attention to Ottawa until they like actually start to produce points and kind of open up eyes so I think Washington just got introduced to who Jake Sanderson is and they didn't know before the game but now they do and I think it's gonna be the same way for every team like at the end of this year you're gonna have a lot of players in the league probably like referencing Jake Sanderson as someone who they hate to play against the I think that's a, that's a good point yeah that Oshie play is is what we know of him I think he did that a couple times last year but that's what he was advertised as this other stuff is just gravy. Like it's been great watching him. So that Makar stat, I did a little bit of recon here. Um, so it wasn't as like it's not neck and neck, um, and a bit of a different sample size. But because of COVID and injuries, Sanderson did not play as many games in his second year in college. But just for reference, it's close enough for you to be like, okay, wow, this kid's special. 
Um, so in 20, sorry, in 41 games from a car in his second year of college, he had a 1.22 points per game. He had 49 points in uh, 41 games, which is outstanding in college as a defenseman. Um, and Sanderson in 23 games had 26 points, which is a 1.13 point per game. Um, close enough to turn my head, I think. Uh, so in 41 games, I don't know what that would be. Quick math, probably around 44 or 45 points. Like he was right there production wise. And it's just, it was showing what he does year after year. Like he, he gets comfortable, gets his feet wet defensively. And usually it's the opposite for defensemen coming into the NHL. Like they come in with this offensive prowess, do their thing on the power play, get some points here and there, but they're a black hole defensively. Sanderson's the opposite. And admittedly, I think he would tell you too. Last year probably took him a little bit of time to get his feet wet defensively. He was, you know, not, not forced into roles, but I think um, as he got more comfortable and as the team got more comfortable playing him in those roles, he played them. Like, I think what's, what's cool is, is the league recognition. Um, He's the kind of player that will turn heads like that. Like, and obviously we haven't seen that since Eric Carlson. Um, I think when you have a defenseman, that's a stud like that, it's almost easier to turn heads to your team than a top forward because there's so many, like so many top end forwards in the league that, and especially on the Sens, like I don't even want to put all my eggs in the Tim Stutzla basket. You know what I mean? And no knock on him. Like he will be in Art Ross tr- trophy races down in the line in his career. Could be an MVP candidate. But you know what I mean? Like I feel like Brady, Tim, um, Norris, Drake, like they're all, that core of forwards is all like very together, like in the same tier, if that makes sense. Tim can put himself ahead, but right now they're all together. Sanderson's in a different tier to me. Like I love Thomas Shabbat and there's been a lot of discussion about him. Um, he had a bounce back game on Wednesday, had a great pass to Giroux for his first goal, which was nice. Uh, assists, had... by the way, for Shabbat now, they, they exactly. credit him with the second one too. They added him. So yeah, he's up there with the points as well. I like that Shabbat and Batherson get on the score sheet with two assists each. Um, Chikrin had that home opener. He had the two goals, like, it, but it just feels like Jake Sanderson is always solid. And I think the more he grows with this team, the more he plays, um, he's going to be a fan favorite if he isn't already. Like, I don't know, even know what I'm trying to say. Like, it's it just that it's realistic to have him as a Norris candidate down the line, more so than saying Stutzel is going to be a heart candidate, if that makes sense. Like, that maybe that's a good question. Like, who who's winning what trophy? Like, is Stutzel going to win a Art Ross or is Nor or Sanderson going to win a Norris? I know I'm getting ahead of myself a lot there. That's pretty lofty expectations. And to have a good career, you don't need to win those, blah, blah, blah. But the league recognition is important. Like, the, Athletic put out their power rankings recently and they have the Sens 10th. Like they were 10th overall in the league uh, in the first week. And you can't really ask for much more. Like they look great. They're turning heads. Playoff percentages are going up. Um, and that's what they needed to do with this stretch. They're home for so many games, man. It's crazy how light their schedule is at the beginning of the season. And I, I think that if they get off to a great start, I think the benchmark is always American Thanksgiving, right? And I believe that'll come right after their Sweden trip or when they're in Sweden. Um, so regardless, that's a good benchmark anyway. What's the stat? It's like 95, 90% of the teams that are in playoff spots at American Thanksgiving make the playoffs. Like it's, there's not much turnover. So I just remember that a lot from the last couple of years when they were way out of the playoff picture, like knowing that going into this season and how many home games they have where they are right now in the standings, even though it's very early, they're second tied for first with Boston that's where I think we should expect this team to be in a month. And I don't think that's crazy. And the longer this goes on, the more games they strain together like this, the more we're going to expect it. Like this, they've shown us the product now. And that's 
a good thing. If they fall off a little bit, we have a reference, a frame of reference, and so does the team. So to me, that's really exciting. And I think it's met with Jake Sanderson finding a new level to his game. Like they don't have this kind of start if he's not firing on all cylinders. So um, yeah, I, I kind of went on a Sanderson rant there. We're going to talk about him every single episode if he keeps playing like this. It's unbelievable how well he played on Wednesday night. It was shocking. Yeah, he was the best player in a 6-1 victory, in my opinion, by far. Um, but I like what you said about the standings, too, because you can already start to feel, I know it's so, so early, but you can start to feel like this whole chaotic season that John Cooper was talking to Ian Mendes about um, with like teams regressing. Like Boston, obviously, is 3-0. You said they had a pretty easy schedule, though, so far. I'm still holding my breath on Boston. I'm sorry, but there's no way this team is going to be so good again. I, w- I refuse to believe it, looking at their lineup, but somehow they're 3-0. They still haven't lost, so whatever. That is what it is. But uh, you can feel this chaotic season where like it seems like Tampa just they don't have the same kind of powerhouse aura around them I know Ottawa obviously beat them but even in that game and they are without Vasilevsky and they didn't have Stamkos but like they just don't have this like intimidating feel that they had in years past like when we played Tampa in the past maybe four years five years it felt like a terrifying game like you you expected to lose I don't have that sense with Tampa anymore I think they're a very beatable team uh like I think Detroit beat them too so they're a very beatable team in my opinion uh and they're not kind of that same powerhouse which is nice for Ottawa obviously Florida too, like last year, they obviously weren't great, but they went to the finals. I thought they'd be a little more intimidating so far this year. You know, they're two and two. Uh, and I look at their lineup and I, again, I kind of see the same thing where I'm like, they have a lot of holes, like they have liabilities here uh, that can be exploited and I'm not super high on them. So I'm really not that intimidated by those teams. Those just feel like beatable teams for an Ottawa Senators team who I didn't think could beat them in years past. Like there are certain games you'd write up that were just losses. They were kind of just expected losses. You need to win the games you're supposed to win, but then like you're you're expected to lose against these top teams. I don't see that for Ottawa anymore. Like for me now, it's it's looking in the sense of that team that teams should be afraid of. You know what I mean? Like they shouldn't be scheduling losses anymore. They should kind of be competing with every team. Like Carolina, that was a game where I kind of expected them to lose. But other than Carolina, maybe a couple other top teams, I'm not that intimidated. And those teams are in the West too. A lot of them. Like I'm not that scared of teams in the East. Um. Like, I've just got it pulled up, and I think the only teams that really intimidate me are, like, Carolina and New Jersey, who's had a kind of a rough start, and maybe Toronto, but even they're, like, they're hit and miss, too, and in the sense of played them really well. So, other than that, I think Ottawa is right there with those teams, and it's early. Yes, we can all say that. We're all taking it with a grain of salt, um, but the Sens, so far, look like a team who should be, you know, a scheduled loss for for some of the weaker teams in the league. Uh, so, that's kind of my takeaway so far. And, and yeah, we've kind of got to, by the way, with Sanderson, like you mentioned, Artem Zub going to miss the game tomorrow, officially announced. So that pairing's looked awesome. Zub is just so underrated. He's done so much defensively over the last couple of years. Their best defensive defenseman last year by far. He produced some ridiculous analytics, uh, played almost entirely in defensive situations, and yet he was so, so good. So him and Sanderson has looked a lot better. And obviously Sanderson last year played with Hamannick primarily. I didn't love that. He's looking a lot better with Zub. So I'm kind of disappointed Zub's going to be out for probably only one game. Um, they'll probably recall, I would guess Max Gannett because that's who they had on their roster last, but we'll see regardless. I think Sanderson's going to excel with whoever he plays with. He's just found another gear. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you have anything else? Because I'm kind of kind of feeling good about the sense going forward. I do, man. I like looking at the schedule. This is the fun about being in the middle of a season and doing these because we can just bring up any topic we want with the teams. I will in a second, uh, with zoo being out the next game for sure, at least it's a good time to get injured, right? He got injured on Wednesday. They have Saturday night, so tom- or Saturday afternoon tomorrow, and then they play again on Tuesday. So he's got time in between, right? Um, where if he's out a week, that's just one game. Uh, so I'm looking at the schedule, and I was looking at Tampa. So they they lost in Detroit, in Ottawa, and in Buffalo. So it's interesting that John Cooper 
mentioning the the storm of teams right with Ian um they went on a road trip against all three teams they lost all three games they lost Buffalo in overtime there Buffalo by the way one and three so keep an eye on that for Tuesday see where they're at when that happens and where the sends are at but yeah man like let's like the next five games here we got home to Detroit tomorrow home against Buffalo on Tuesday at the Islanders on Thursday at Penguins Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday and then against the Kings on November 2nd at home like the, these aren't tough matchups like the Kings is probably the best team in that matchup the thing that, that like I'm expecting the Sens to be the better team in all four of those games coming up the Kings won maybe like the Kings are a really good team um but all four of those games are against teams that were on the outside of the playoff picture last year last season Islanders did make it but they were you know uh borderline team like it was the Islanders Penguins Panthers Sens and that mix at the end there right and Buffalo so it's a good stretch it's a good stretch to see where the Sens are at see if they can kind of keep this momentum rolling because they've been hot. Um, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow's game. I think seeing, I didn't anticipate this being a matchup with two teams that are three and one or, or like having great starts. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of all I got, but yeah, like it's more, I'm not saying the exact standings picture should be the same at the end of the year, but this is where the send should be. Like, I don't want them battling for a wild card spot, especially given how hard their or how easy their schedule is to start. Like I can't, emphasize enough these two road games they go at new uh at islanders at penguins they have one more road game technically because they're going to sweden one more game away from the canadian tire center before december they have one road game in november like it's crazy that that's that's their schedule because we keep talking about how they gotta win they gotta be good in november be positive record we've said they gotta come out of it above 500 they should be coming out of that top three in the atlantic hands down especially again where given where they are right now. I think that's not crazy to say. I even said it, and I don't want to be like sound too nuts here. I said that in the summer when we didn't even know their schedule. I said, I want them top in the Atlantic based on how long it's been, whatever, like a New Jersey Devils style season. And they're teed up for it, man. They are. And this has been a great start. So that's all I got for episode 48. You got anything else you want to touch on? No, I think you had them ranked ranked third. I think we did our our standings and you put them third in the the Atlantic. And I think that's reasonable now. Like, it's so early, so I, 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 I don't want to get ahead man. because I know I, I don't want to get ahead second. of ourselves though. Just because it's like you, you know people are going to be like, oh, it's only been four games. They started four and two last year. Yada yada yada. I still just feel like there's a different vibe around this team. Like yeah. you look at the core, how it's constructed. They don't have the Nikita Zaitsevs anymore. They don't have the <laughs> the liabilities. So I think that now, yeah, they're constructed to kind of be a competitor. And it's not just the sends though. Is the big thing with your predi- prediction. It's that other teams are regressing. Like, like I said, yeah. Tampa is not intimidating. Tampa, Tampa is a very terrible, beatable man. team, exactly. And they look terrible to end last year too. So it's not just that they're missing Vasilevsky. Their team is just like they haven't like they had their winning years, and now they're regressing. That's how it works. Like that's how hockey works. So um, Boston too, I think they're going to regress. Florida is kind of just a beatable team. Like the Atlantic is there for the take. It's competitive. There's a lot of like decent to good teams, but there's not a lot of great teams left. And now it's kind of like Ottawa can be kind of from that decent and go into great mode now or good mode. Like they can be one of the good teams, right? I think what's important to classify is this start maybe kind of emphasized it more and like hammered it home more for me that, yeah, the Atlantic is arguably the best division in hockey. It probably still is, but, and, and that, that was the narrative, right? For the Sens, it's like, oh, this division's so hard. I don't know if they can squeak in. I think what they've done in this start with the three and one start is put themselves in the conversation of why it's so good, Right as opposed to being like, I don't know, man, there's so many good teams in the Atlantic. The Sens are kind of just knocking down the door right now and saying, we're one of those good teams. 
that's why it's going to be a hard division. And I think that's important. Detroit's kind of doing the same thing. I, I know it's it's only three and one. Like there's 82 games. It's a lot of hockey. They have 78 more to go. But I'd rather be three and one than be one and three. Like, you know what I mean? If if we were one and three, <clears throat> excuse me, for one and three, sky's falling, but we're not. So it's three and one. And it's been a good start. So that's going to do it for episode 49 of the Everyday Sands podcast. Um, and yeah, we'll see everyone later on this weekend, maybe Sunday, maybe a little Monday. We got a Tuesday game. So we got a couple days there in between. So we thank everyone for joining. Remember to subscribe to the YouTube page. We are on the road to 2,000 subscribers now. Um, and yeah, we'll be going live for a lot of pregame shows, maybe even on Tuesday. Like we'll, we'll have to figure all that out, but thanks everyone for joining and we'll see you all next time.